Welcome back to Cathedral of Rockies Amity Podcast. So glad to have you here today. And today the sermon is out of Luke chapter 13 verses 10 through 17, which can be interpreted as a discussion on legalism, which is a topic Ben brings up in the sermon. And this is an important because too often religion is associated with legalism. Um, and the general idea of legalism today is that there is a set of laws or rules that must be followed at all times, regardless of any other varying factors. And you'll often hear these rules apply to like areas of morality within religious contexts. Um, at least I would say that's the most common way they'll be thought of. So where am I? Oh, and what is interesting about this idea is that it is a modern idea. That is to say, it really has only been around for the last couple hundred years, and more specifically within Western culture. Um, and trust me, a couple hundred years is not a very long time. Um, <laughs> anyways, um, th- so in fact, there's even many cultures around today that aren't really as hard and fast with their rules, uh, kind of like we are in Western culture. Uh, so keep that in mind. Um, and then also... Context, I think a context of a situation or a environment, per se, uh, might allow for more flexibility with enforcing a rule. It also allows you to personalize things when you have that flexibility um, or just take con- context really into effect. Um, and to contrast that, the context, I think, and also is what leads to this hardline approach to rules and laws. So like in the case of modern Western culture, the developments in our understanding of the physical world really shaped the thinking in regards to our more um, metaphysical ideas as well. And that is to say the the context of the laws of physics has shaped ideas around more abstract or metaphysical laws and rules because physical laws are so hard and fast that it's also we kind of think of the more like abstract reality or metaphysical reality um, in the same way. Um, it's very hard and fast. So we're trying to, if you have the rule, that's the rule, no matter what. So with this line of thinking, uh, good question is, what context might be shaping the Pharisees and scribes and their hard line re- um, view in regard to their laws? And what happens if we just like take a step back and look at what a law or rule communicates as opposed to whether we follow it or not, or it should be followed or not? Like, what is it communicating then the, like the purpose of it? So, and then hopefully these questions and Ben's, wor- Ben's words will spark some good thoughts. Um, and then one final note, shameless plug of mine. If you'd like to hear more about this topic, like a discussion, of this topic, specifically in the area of ethics. I did a podcast series for a school assignment over the past year, which dives into a lot of this. Um, So it's called Front Room Theology, and I'll link into the show notes. So if anyone wants to check that out, uh, I encourage it. So anyways, enjoy the sermon.
as I asked at the beginning of service, what does Sabbath mean for you? And, and what does sa- keeping the Sabbath holy mean for the church? Because we're not just individuals on this journey. We're a collective called the church. We're disciples together. And so why we gather on Sunday mornings is that we hope that collectively our pursuit of Christ makes a collective difference, right? Is that, is that your hope? Or that our, our pursuit of Christ makes a collective difference in, in the world? And so we ask ourselves, what does Sabbath mean for us? But we also ask, what does it mean for the church today? I'm going to read from Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. Uh, If you have your Bibles, turn with me there, but the text will be up on the screen as well. Listen to this really interesting event in Christ's ministry. Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. A woman was there who had been disabled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and couldn't stand up straight when he saw her, Jesus called to her, called her to him and said, Woman, you are set free from your sickness. He placed his hands on her and she straightened up at once and praised God. The synagogue leader, incensed that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, responded, There are six days during which work is permitted. Come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. Interesting response. The Lord replied, Hypocrites, don't each of you on the Sabbath unite your ox or donkey from its stall and lead it to get a drink of water? Then isn't it necessary that this woman, a daughter of Abraham, bound by Satan for 18 long years, be set free from her bondage on the Sabbath day? When he said these things, all his opponents were put to shame, but all those in the crowd rejoiced at all the extraordinary things he was doing. The written word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Before we get into the sermon, can you imagine if a Sunday went like that? Where, let's say I said something, an opponent stood up and read scripture, we got into it, right? but then everyone started praising God at the end. <laughs> Be pretty, okay, well, we'll just see if that ever happens. She had gotten used to looking at people out of the corner of her eye by looking up and sideways. After 18 long years, she could hardly remember any other way of seeing the world. On this particular Sabbath, though, there was a special excitement at the synagogue, where she regularly went to worship. A Galilean preacher, a prophet by the name of Jesus of Nazareth had arrived into town and would be teaching there. She and others in town had heard reports about Jesus, who he had talked about, God's reign arriving soon, and how he healed sick people. She was not sure how many of the rumors to believe, but she was trying not to get her hopes up. Her life had already had too many disappointments to count in those 18 years. When she entered the synagogue that morning, the place was abuzz. As Jesus began to teach, however, the room was hushed. Moments later, his words turned from teaching to invitation, and he caught her by the eye. 
No mean feat given that he had to lean over and incline his head to do so. Come here, he said to her calmly. She slowly made her way to the front of the assembly. What happened next amazed the whole congregation. Woman, you are set free from your ailment. When this man Jesus spoke those words and put his hand on her broken, bent-over body, she felt power surge through her. Without hesitation, she straightened up her once crooked back. She stood tall and praised God loudly. This was written in a commentary about the perspective of what she must have gone through in the synagogue. And I just couldn't escape imagining what it would have been like for her in that moment. I don't know about you, but my first thought when I was reading this passage and hearing that story, my first thought is, where else should healing happen than when God's people are gathered? Where else should miracles take place than when God's people are gathered? Shouldn't the place of worship be the place of miracles too? Shouldn't the place of worship be the place of healing too? Shouldn't the day of rest be the day when people experience rest from their struggles? It's important that this passage makes it clear that this woman's ailment was caused by a spirit. It says it twice. Spirit and Satan. It was a bondage of Satan that she suffered from 18 years. When I read this, my thoughts go to those who are my friends who are differently abled. This does not mean that their bodies are, are somehow in bondage by Satan or, or encapsulated by an evil spirit. We suffer from ailments in our bodies. It doesn't mean that our morality or Satan is after us. It means that we are experiencing something different in life. It is only to say that this particular woman in this particular situation is suffering from a spiritual affliction that has physical results. To understand her particular life experience, we have to step into her shoes, as that story helps us to do. We imagine her neck and back pain, her fatigue, difficulty breathing, maybe even heart problems related to inflammation of the aorta and potentially feelings of frustration, vulnerability, and isolation. They had doctors back then too. Imagine 18 years, how many doctors she saw trying to bring relief to her body. Living that way for 18 years would have had a significant impact on her health, her mental wellness, and her life overall. But in an instant, she was set free from that life and immediately began to praise God. I would too, wouldn't you? <laughs> I think we all would. But here's the crux of the, this passage for me. This woman's liberation, her life being restored to health and integrity caused the religious leader to become incensed rather than praise God with her. Why? We need to ask this question because we are the religious leaders. <laughs> Right? The Bible is written 
by God's people to God's people. Oftentimes, I, I grew up being taught God's people read the Bible against the world. But then Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, God's people need to read it against themselves, right? We need to be more practiced in saying, oh, when it says Pharisees, when it says God's people, it's talking about us. So how do we then respond? Because this person's reaction could very well be our own when someone else experiences a movement of God on a day or time or place or theology we may not agree with, right? So we need to be aware of the things that might cause us to be upset by a miracle. The synagogue leader in his role as teacher of Torah objects to Jesus having performed healing on the Sabbath. And now the commandment to, to forbidding work on the Sabbath found in Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy leaves work undefined allowing for various interpretations of ancient times and still today. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but when there's a vague scripture in, in our Bibles, we tend to fill in the gaps, right? With our own, like, well, this is what it really means, right? We Methodists know what it really means. Those Baptists are reading it different. No, right? We, we have a tendency to fill in vague places in Scripture with our own interpretations of what they mean. When really, and I've said this to us before, the whole purpose of the Bible is to wrestle with God. Wrestle with each other to find wisdom for our current time right? That's, that's the whole purpose. But in this particular synagogue, there was one definition of what that command meant. To not work on the Sabbath also included not healing on the Sabbath. The types of work that were forbidden in Deuteronomic law did not discuss healing, so rabbinic authorities agreed that life-saving intervention was permitted on the Sabbath, but they were divided over whether healings for non-life-threatening conditions would be permitted on the Sabbath. Like you could heal a withered hand, but can you heal a withered body? That was a division in Christ's time. Or the orthopedic disease that had afflicted this woman for years, was that permitted on the Sabbath? So un some interpreters would have, um, would have gone against miracle working outright, uh, and others would have agreed that miracle working was not forbidden, even theoretically in religious uh, gatherings like the synagogue. This reaction seems so concerned, though, with command-centered rather than people-centered perspective. I understand wanting to follow God's laws faithfully, but as Jesus says later on, Sabbath was made for humanity, not humanity for the Sabbath. I have found that to be such an applicable phrase to a lot of the things that we hold so tightly to, right? It is, it is a sinister form of legalism that becomes divided over healing care on when it should be administered or if it's life-threatening. There is little to no room for this woman's voice to be heard within that kind of legalism. 
I, I thought in this moment, why didn't the religious leader first ask her for her experience? Her for her, her infilling of the Holy Spirit, her, her encounter with God in that moment. Why wasn't that the first response? It felt all too tragically familiar to have a man in a position of privilege get upset when a woman receives care he doesn't think she deserves and then tell it to another man who he thinks is in charge. <laughs> Two dudes arguing over a woman receiving health care. What should she, what would she have said about her own healing on the Sabbath? Why wasn't the first response from the religious leader to get her input on how to interpret this vague command? Isn't her praise of God an incredible response to why healing on the Sabbath matters? One of the things that really strikes me about this passage is daughter of Abraham is only used once in the New Testament, and it's right here. She's not named. We don't know her name, her life experience, her story, but Jesus names her as a daughter of Abraham. The only other person in the New Testament to be called a son of Abraham is a wee little man who climbs a tree because he felt outcast because of his dealings as a tax collector. And Jesus restores them both as a son and daughter of Abraham. Isn't that beautiful? There's a list in Shabbat chapter 7, verse 2. I know you all read that this morning, so this is old news. But in the Mishvah Shabbat chapter 7, verse 2, of 39 kinds of labor forbidden on the Sabbath, it includes such tasks as sewing, baking, hunting, writing, building, and leading from one domain to another. So like leading an ox to water from one domain to the other. But Jesus shows that even those who follow strict obedience to not working on the Sabbath, they're not going to let their ox go thirsty. They're not going to let their donkey go hungry, right? And then he compares that and says, isn't this daughter of Abraham even worth more in the sight of God? So shouldn't her rest matter too? Such an incredible comparison what is so profound about this is that Jesus was raised from the dead when? On the Sabbath. God did God's greatest work on the Sabbath, bringing rest and salvation to the entire world. God deeply believes that rest is a part of keeping the Sabbath holy but not just our own rest, bringing rest for others. My friends, keeping the Sabbath holy was to bring all creation healing and rest. And this is what we see with Jesus. He has come to bring liberation for the oppressed, good news to the poor, sight to the blind, healing to the sick, release of captives, and the year of Jubilee, which you've all heard me preach before is the forgiveness of debts. That's the first one we need to bring back, right? But Jesus is all about to bring 
healing and rest, not just for specific people, but for the collective of humanity in all the world. That is why he died, was to bring forgiveness, rest, and life to all of creation So often our perspectives of laws, whether they are governmental, ecclesial, or biblical, take on a form of legalism where they must be obeyed with no exception and we miss the whole point of why they exist in the first place. Our scriptures, our church, the laws of God, humanity was not made for them. They were made for humanity. Christ came for humanity. To set us free. So Sabbath, for me, is when I encounter rest and am not measured by the things I produce or my work. But Sabbath is kept holy when the church can give rest to other people. My friends, we are in such a tired, broken world with people on so many platforms screaming about how laws should be kept, who needs to obey them, and who needs to be underneath them. I think such an important conversation that the church needs to bring to our world today is, how can we bring rest to those who suffer the most? What if our politics, what if our presence as the church were centered on how does this impact the most vulnerable? the poor, the marginalized, the oppressed, how does it impact them the most? And then follow those laws accordingly within and outside the church. I pray that that's the kind of Sabbath we are as a a people, that that's the way we keep the Sabbath holy, is that we not only rest in the abundance of God, but we are an example of providing that rest to the world. Do you want to be that kind of church? Yes, amen. Let me pray for us as I I invite um, Rose to come forward to read our uh, confession and pardon. Lord God, as we prepare to receive the Holy Eucharist, I pray that you would settle into our hearts and bring your rest to this place. We are thankful for all that you've done for us, Lord God, for this incredible miracle we just read about in our scriptures. And I pray that we see evidence of your work in our lives as well, so that all may come praising the Lord as our sister, the daughter of Abraham, did in our text today. In Christ's holy name we pray. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to, we'd very much appreciate it if you would subscribe to this podcast as well as rate and review it. Also, if you'd like to connect with us, you can email us at amity.campus at boisefumc.org. That email will be in the show notes. Finally, as a smaller congregation, our budget is pretty tight. If you'd like to help out and donate to us, there is a link to do so in the show notes. Of course, no pressure, only if you're feeling called to give. But more income does mean possibly more content and better quality of content, as well as supporting our current ministries and those we'd like to expand on. Thank you. I hope you have a wonderful rest of the day.